We want when people come here, this to be an overwhelming sense of home. Because biblical Christianity at its core is relational. If you are going to lead, you have to first be, you have to first be led. Hey, welcome to Lead Talks with the Craigs, Pastor Craig Mosgrove. Chad. Craig. Yeah, yeah, we're very excited again to be back with you for another episode. This is season number one. We're in episode seven. Seven. Yeah, we're doing eight episodes, so we're coming down to the wire here. In episode one, Pastor Chad's all been about kingdom leadership, you know, uh, many people probably getting the opportunity to watch season one. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That's episode, all right. Yeah, season one. That's right. Uh, you know, most people are getting a chance to watch it on YouTube. Other people though are listening via their podcast app, the audio app, and so whichever one that you're actually engaging with us, we just want to encourage you to continue to share right yeah. with people in your life that uh, you think would benefit from the conversation. And uh, as we this thing continues to move and we evolve and. You know, our goal is obviously to have other people on the podcast moving forward. And so uh, we just appreciate so much the engagement. It lets us know that we're not talking into thin air, right? True. We're talking into ears that are connected. Well, I like heads. talking about the kingdom regardless, but we definitely are appreciative to those that's actually out there listening that, that's and right. engaging. That's right. So episode seven, Pastor Chad, we just finished episode five and six. And five and six were all about the marriage relationship, right? So we talked about the husband's love in five, and then we talked about this non-bad word submission in episode six. Yeah. And today we're going to continue in what is one of the most important jobs in the world, and mm. that is parenting, parenting. So we've actually entitled this lesson today, The Most Important Leaders in the World. You know, Frederick Douglass, a great, great quote, he said, it's so much easier to uh, build stronger children than it is to repair broken right. men. And man, does that statement ring true in our, at least our American culture, right? And definitely you experience it in equipping ministry yes, or local absolutely. church ministry, so, that reality. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to say for those listening or watching today, um, how many of you are parents? You raise your hand, Pastor Chad, right? Parents. Um, how many of you had parents? There you go. <laughs> right? So the whole goal in those two questions is we just want to make sure we cover all of our bases. Now, when we talk about the world's most important job, I think of out of all the tasks, Pastor Chad, that we can be assigned, all the occupations we could ever engage in, that especially in marriage, the most important part is being a parent. My mind goes back uh, personally to January 13, 2010. I know yours was January 14, 2009, when the original mm. moment came where my son, my firstborn, that was your firstborn son, but my firstborn uh, son named Knox was born. And I remember after he washed up, so to speak, and they gave him, or he was washed up, and they gave me uh, him to hold. The first thing that entered my mind, now again, he was only five pounds, but it was like, man, this dude is so light. Like, he is so small. But as I was thinking that, another thought hit me in that moment like a ton of bricks, and that was, yeah, he's light, but the weight of responsibility for this life as it goes beyond the event of birth all the way into ultimately his years into adulthood. So, Pastor Chad, I thought it would be cool to kick off today. I was reading this week, it's estimated that 16% of a child's life is spent at school. 1% mm. of a child's life occupies Sunday worship. That's if he or she goes. Which means 83% of that child's life is spent under the direction of some way under parents. Now, it doesn't mean they're necessarily with their parents, right. but under the direction. Supervision or yeah. adults. Yeah, so Psalm 127, I think all of us know this, but it says, Children are a heritage from the Lord. 
the fruit of his womb, the fruit of his womb, or the womb is his reward, meaning it's God's reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man whose quiver is full, full. of them. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember meditating on that psalm, uh, Pastor Chad, because we wanted more kids than just our one, and we wanted several. We actually probably would have gone for four, maybe even if we wouldn't had some issues, Meredith and I, with uh, with the third one. But I started thinking, really, like happy as the man whose quiver is full of them. Not all men would agree that they want a quiver full of children, right? Certainly. The thought hit me. I'm like, they quiver at the thought of having a quiver many, many. full of children, right? Yeah. Uh, funny joke. There were three men in a hospital, Pastor Chad, waiting room. They're waiting for their wives to in the delivery room, giving kind of their respective children. A nurse comes in and said to one of the fathers, congratulations, your wife just bore twins. He smiled and said, man, what a coincidence, because I happen to play for the Minnesota Twins. So they thought, well, that's cool. Okay. The nurse comes back, and next time she comes back a little bit later, announces to the second husband, she says, congratulations, your wife just had triplets. This guy looks at her, and he's like, man, this is amazing, because I work for the 3M company. Mm. It's like, isn't it wild that I would have three children, right, triplets, when I work for the 3M company? Well, upon have, hearing that conversation, the third guy <laughs> just hits the floor and he starts moaning. And the nurse said, are you sick? And he said, no, ma'am, but I do work for the 7-Up company. Oh, boy. <laughs> and and he, he, was, he was hoping prophetically, right, in that labor and delivery room that he wasn't going to have seven kids. I can't uh, imagine that. Yeah, but I, I, I say all that joke to say, you know, uh, apart from having a spouse, the most important job in the world, it really is the toughest job right? Being a parent. Nonstop. And here's why it's, it's tough, because once you're experienced, you're out of a job. Once you're experienced, you're unemployed. Just when you're kind of getting the hang of it, and it's all coming together, everything's firing on all cylinders, they leave the house. And Pastor Chad, it's a tough job because kids have a mind, and that means they're unpredictable. Certainly. It means they make their own choices. You never know what they might say. You never know what they might do. Was that a show? Kids say the darndest things. Yeah, that's it was a right. show actually. Yeah, right? I've used that in a sermon before. But yeah. right, I'm talking, and we're talking, I should say, to a group of people, Pastor Chad, today, that are in various stages of life. Mm-hmm. So some of them have already raised kids. They're into the grandparent stage, which is probably the best stage. I would, at least from what I hear, right. Some of those that are listening, though, they're still raising kids like us. Yeah. Some of them are even at the awkward phase. Some call it the rebel, uh, rebel force teenage years. Right. So you're just kind of sort of managing that, holding your breath, trying to get to 18. Uh, Mark Twain, Pastor Chad once said, things go pretty smoothly until your child reaches age 13. And then in his witting way, he said, that's the time you stick him in a barrel, put the lid down nice and tight, and feed them through a knot hole. <laughs> so I hadn't uh, heard that. Obviously, that's not the goal. The goal right. of parenting is not to disengage, but to actually engage. But how in the world do we do that? Like how do we build up kids, right? How do we fashion and use those formidable years to give sufficient necessary resource for that, that person to launch into the future? So what I wanted to read, Pastor Chad, is Ephesians chapter 6. And then I want to ask you a question uh, as we kind of frame our conversation today. So Ephesians chapter 6, which is, of course, following chapter 5, which talks all about husbands and wives. You know, husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands. It's a good section of that. We continue chapter 6 and verse 1. I just want to read verse 1. He said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, 
that it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And so this is a big topic. We're going to kind of occupy our time today on that single verse that verse 4 kind of gives us an overall snapshot of the role of parenting, again, in the marriage relationship. And you'll notice, verse 4, it's a commandment. But it's a negative commandment and a positive commandment. And so, Pastor Chad, I wanted to kind of divide this up into kind of three principles for parenting. Number one, parenting can be done negatively. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's done all the time negatively. It could be done, number two, positively. And then finally, parenting should be done ultimately. So let's just take it phrase by phrase through this one verse, okay, as we kind of probe the depths of it. When you hear me say parenting can be done negatively, like what do you initially think of? Talk to us a little bit about that. How can parenting be done negatively? Yeah, well, when you think about something being done negative, that means there's got to be a standard, yeah. right, that's judging it being done negatively. Right. So to me, that speaks, like we've talked about before, that God has a design. Mm. And, you know, we say that a lot, but a lot of the confusion, and I would say even hopelessness, a sense of loss of clarity mm. in our culture, is because people are moving away from the simple foundation of the reality that God, our creator, has a design. Right. And he has a design like we talked about in marriage and husbands and wives and obviously for salvation and, and his kingdom, but also when it comes to parenting. And so this means there's an intent mm. that the creator has. That's why he designed it. Mm. You know, when when designers design things, yeah. it's the intent that drives the design. Yeah, right. The microphones we're using, the, the technology, the things we're using, the chairs we're sitting in, the one who designed it, it was the intent. There was intent behind the design. Right. So I think of the same thing when it comes to parenting. And then also, you know, I'm reminded of like Ecclesiastes 3 when it says, uh, you know, my translation says there's a purpose for every season. Mm. But the Hebrew word for pur purpose, which I, I never had heard until I began to look at the Hebrew, it means there's a desire, meaning there's a season for every desire. That's good. So... When we have desires, desires are given for a purpose, right? Right, And God has given us desires, and many of us have, you know, fulfilled those desires to be a parent. Yep. Okay? And in that, it's what you said earlier, there's a season. Mm -hmm. There's a context where that desire to be a parent takes more intentionality mm -hmm. because then, it, you know, they're going to be out of the home. Right. So uh, also when it comes to negatively, I think – immediately a fatherlessness of our nation right and the epidemic right? the epidemic the documented and well established fact beyond debate mm. of the devastation that happens to children's lives when fatherlessness is there and you speaking from personal experience, you had a wonderful stepfather, but yep. not, not biological father until much later yes. in life. Yeah. Diff difficult dynamics when it came to, yeah, relationship with the biological father. So when you have an absentee or a non-intentional father, that would be negatively, yeah, right? A negative form of parenting. Right. And when you think of the home, God created that the first context of a human, 
Yeah, that's good. Would be the context that sets and frames the context of their heart. Yeah. Now, why is that important? Because then Proverbs says that all of the issues of life flow out of the heart. Right. So when you have the first and foremost, most important context that God's designed to form and shape the heart, the yeah. inner world of a child. And that's already dysfunction. Already dysfunction. Yeah. Then you have set up the heart to not get the healthy boundaries, nutrients, whatever uh, words, yeah. you know, um, metaphors you want to use. It's malformed. And it leads to so many then negative issues yeah. because of the negative form of parenting. So that's originally when you say it, what first comes to mind. So uh, talk to us about why you believe Paul addresses uh, the fathers in verse four. And why doesn't he say mothers don't pervert, provoke your children to wrath? Why does yeah. he highlight fathers yeah. in the provoking? I think that's great. So so notice uh, the verse, again, we're in Ephesians 6, verse four, you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. And so when I stopped there, Pastor Chad, I just started thinking, why does Paul direct this towards dads? Right. Uh, why just fathers? Moms and dads are parents, right? If you know anything about parenting at all, you couldn't keep a mother away from the parenting situation to save your life, right? She's like the bulk of it. And I don't mean that negatively. I just mean that's the reality. Um, I was in a hospital visiting a couple years ago. Their child brought into the emergency room with some respiratory difficulty. I believe if memory serves me, the both of them are concerned, mom and dad, but the mother, she like owned the hospital. It's like she telling people where to go, you know, if you've ever been in environments like this, like she literally like owns the doctor, it feels like, to control the welfare of that child. And and we know that about mom. So so I started thinking, why then does Paul say fathers? And so I just, I just three possible answers. Number one, if there's an area of neglect typically for a man, it would be that of his children. Mm. So I started thinking, you know, typically fathers tend to neglect children. It's not high on their priority list, especially when this was written 2,000 years ago in the Roman world where kids were an inconvenience for the Roman. I'm not talking about for believers, but right. for the Roman. So they did it to simply satisfy the requirements of the state of government. They kind of did it as their civic duty, but they didn't spend time raising their kids. So because it was an air of neglect, Paul perhaps isolates the fathers, okay? Christian fathers who would be reading this letter. Which, which a lot of people might know, and what you're saying, it just sort of triggered to me yeah. of how Paul, when he talks through different language of like Christian growth, but how there were hired servants, yeah, of where basically a lot of the parenting roles was was given over to another to that. Yeah, in fact, I, I was uh, I was going to say this. Socrates years ago, of course, in the Greek times, said to the men of Athens, "Why do you men scrape and turn every stone to gather wealth, but neglect your own children, to whom you must one day relinquish it all?" <laughs> Leave it to right. So, so it must have been quite a problem. Is basically what I'm saying. Second reason I think Paul speaks to fathers only is because fathers tend uh, to be of the father and mother, meaning the ones who are at least perceived to be the the most harsh of the two. So when you think of a tender and care, you think of mom. Correct. Kid's normally. sick, bumps his Primarily, knee, yep. wants mom. I remember, you know, my dad's still alive. Thank God. I'm so grateful for him. But he's tall. He had a big voice growing up. He's kind of this imposing, intimidating figure compared to my mom. You yeah. Know? My mom's tall, too. She's five, she is tall. She's 5'9", five, 5'10", five, but still, it's just a she different. She looks six foot to me. Yeah. <laughs> the, the third reason, and I think, Pastor Chad, this is probably the real reason. Though Paul would have known that parenting involves, of course, father and mother, he's speaking principally to fathers because they bear the brunt of responsibility in the home. And this is the part that I wanted to kind of hit with our listeners is, I'm dealing with you fathers, Paul said, because I know the buck stops here. 
and you're responsible for setting the pace and the tone even of child rearing in the home. So he would have in his mind mothers and fathers, but he addresses primarily fathers. Don't provoke your children to wrath. So you can you can see that negative commandment in verse 4. Parenting can be done negatively. Don't do it this way. Do it this way, right? Uh, one translation I was reading, Pastor Chad, of the New Testament says, fathers don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Mm. The Amplified Bible, listen to this one, says, and I wonder if, if children didn't have a hand in translating this. <laughs> Fathers, will just do not provoke or irritate or fret your children. Don't be harder than or harass them, lest they become discouraged and sullen and morose and feel inferior and frustrated. And th- this is the part I wanted to, to ask you about, Pastor Chad. It says, do not break their spirit. Mm. That's the translation of one negative can- command is do not break their spirit. And so it's put in the present tense, do not provoke. It's a suggestion right, that a pattern over time, resentment and frustration could build up by that process in the heart of a child. And you say, how? What ways, right? Why is it so important, Pastor Chad, to not break the spirit of your kids? If we were to use that amplified translation, what does it mean to to not break the spirit of your kids? Yeah, I want to walk through a couple uh, wisdom proverbs when it comes to this. So the first is Proverbs 17, 22. It says, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Mm. Our bones are physical, right? right? We can't engage in physical activity without the bone structure. So when it talks about a broken spirit dries the bones, what it's saying is is a broken spirit leads to a fruit of passivity, Mm. meaning it forms in the internal world of a, of a child, uh, passivity, mm. a sense of helplessness. Okay. And so Which this is what's in some way look in, 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 in adverse ways towards dependency towards other people or on other people. Yeah. And it's where that it leads to the phrase that we've heard a lot recently in failure to thrive. Yeah. Right. And so it, it disempowers action orientation. This is the, the what Paul's saying, the detriment if you provoke to such a place and it leads to a broken spirit. Next one is Proverbs eighteen fourteen mm. says the spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? So that's good. When that's the really spirit good. is broken, the ability to bear things yeah. is lessened, and this is what which we now know research, like even by unbelievers that one of the key factors in character that helps people, you know, life's hard. Yeah. Right? There's unexpected things and seasons of life, and a needed quality is resilience. Yeah. Well, when a broken spirit happens, their ability to bear difficulties and stresses is lessened, and they don't build resilience in their life. And what that means is then they don't have a healthy strength or a healthy type of ambition. Okay? So they lose this healthy sense, God-given sense of desire for achievement, Mm. okay, because it's a broken spirit. Then in Job 17, 1, he cries out, says, my spirit is broken, my days are extinguished, the grave is ready for me. So what happens is, is a broken spirit begins to extinguish uh, believing of the possibility of a brighter future. Yeah. Things can be different. 
And it begins to form in the inner world of a child this sense of, you know, things are always going to be horrible and there's not brighter days ahead. And so it robs them of dreaming. Yeah. It robs them of the possibilities of the spirit, you know, and, and what God has embedded within humans, uh, you know, this divine sense of purpose. And so we see that in our culture that kids become fatalistic way too early. Way too early. Right. Feelings of despair. Yeah. Feelings of despair. And we have depression, obviously, is yeah. going to increase. You have sadness. You have all of those type of um, results of manifestations when, of the broken spirit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The positive attributes of God and his kingdom extinguish yeah. their broken spirit. And then um, Proverbs 15, 13, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. So what it says that through sorrow, a spirit's broken, meaning sorrow creates a negative capstone on, on the, the spirit capabilities, meaning the possibilities of the supernatural in a person's life. It began, it's sort of like the law of the lid, yeah, like John Maxwell men- mentions. Sorrow begins to set a lid on, for achievement in most, okay? Now, then there is the last one I'll mention, uh, mention that can lead to the other side, okay? And that's Proverbs 25, 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down Damn. without walls. So there are some... And, and I don't want to get into all the reasons, but it can be uh, certain personalities that are more inclined to respond this way than the other broken spirit way. But it leads to rebellion, okay? And it leads to the person saying, look, my spirit's been broken, but I'm not going to leave it this way, so I'm going to allow just complete, utter rebellion and chaos, which means they never have healthy boundaries set in their life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they think there's no consequences for what they do. They're going to be their own anarchy, total anarchy. It's like I'm going to be my own god. I'm going to be my own father. I'm going to be my own parent and guardian. And um, and so you you have that side gotcha. that happens. So that's the danger of it. Mm. Okay, deep deep suppression of the potential of how God could use a life or can c- complete. Rebellion, rebellion from healthy boundaries and, and boundaries and things God's given. So yeah, uh, let, really me, good. let me say really to good. you, um, in this text, it suggests a pattern. Right. I think you had mentioned that a moment ago. Yeah. That over time, resentment, frustration could build up by that process in the heart of a child. So talk to us a bit about some of the ways we can provoke our children to wrath that we obviously would not want to do. Yeah, so still speaking in the negative side, Pastor Chad, I have a little counseling notebook on my— it's just a little uh, a great resource someone gave to me almost a decade ago, and it's called Scriptures for Counseling. Yes, and so, I have it. Uh-huh. Yeah, so like what'll happen is if I an issue comes up, I could just— you know, kind of infer, refer to it very quickly and this whole barrage of scriptures will. So I started looking at like, what are some practical ways moms and dads, specifically the dad here, but provoke your children to wrath. So I just want to give you a couple of them. Number one, hypocrisy provokes a child to wrath. So when a child hears what parents say and then watch what parents do, and it doesn't match, they preach a good message, but at home there's this is what it's really like. That builds up resentment in a child. It mm-hmm. angers a child. And so they feel like you betrayed them, right? Um, uh, I had a pastor tell me one time, Pastor Travis Convicting. He said, especially if you ministry leadership families, he said, what you and your wife call discretion at home, your kids call hypocrisy. So meaning we're going to share some things, but not share some things. And right. We're going to communicate this, but not communicate that. And he said, ultimately, over a period of time, you know, a couple of decades in the home, and that builds up resentment in the kid's life. John Bunyan 
uh, wrote Pilgrim's Progress. I think most people uh, know that. He said, a man can be a saint abroad, but a devil at home. There's been many. Yeah, right? So that's one way we can provoke a child to wrath. Second way, I thought, is by inconsistency. So inconsistency, I'm speaking here of discipline. So don't think inconsistency is the same as like hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, So when a parent is inconsistent in the way he or she deals with the little ones, it provokes them to wrath. So if you respond one way one day, and then the next day you respond a totally different way, and that same action, it confuses them. And my wife is real big about this. My wife, in terms of parenting, she's so... And for kids, the the world needs to seem to make sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, for example, if, if yesterday was Junior's birthday and he threw a cake across the room and and hit his, hit his aunt, and you laugh it off, but the next day, he accidentally spills milk, and you go ballistic, your child don't know what in the world's going on, right? right. So there's this inconsistency that you're not approaching his behavior. Uh, also, this is big, Pastor Chad. If and the one, fruit of that creates tons of anxiety, right, in kids, right? You're right, you're right. If one parent's heart are harsh, the other parent's passive. So, so what happens in that inconsistency is it means the child's going to find out real quickly who to go to to get his or her will done. They're going to start playing favorites they real will. quick, aren't they? They'll pit one parent against the next parent, right? Oh, mother's hard. Dad is soft. Forget mother. I'm going to go right to father, right? Uh, two Harvard uh, sociologists said the number one factor, this is Harvard, number one factor in preventing delinquency in children is the firm, fair, and consistent discipline of parents. So, and I want, I want our hearers to get that. Firm, fair, consistent. Right, so the discipline's firm, fair, consistent. So hypocrisy, and, and fair, is another way of a word that's being confused a lot today. Uh, that is in Proverbs, equity. Yeah, equity is not the same as equality. Equity means that for a transgression or for something to happen, the the penalty or the judgment should equal according to the transgression. Yeah. So, like the example you said. Yeah. That's not equity if you're going ballistic over spilled milk, yeah. right? But then no issue if you're causing harm to another person. Yeah, yeah. So since you brought it up, I wasn't going to say it, but I'll say it, okay, because the world we live in. There's a guy I follow on Twitter, and I've been following him because I'm trying to be open to some of his ideology and at right. least engage him. And I had to stop following him this week, and I had to stop following him because he communicated to a, he, what he felt like was a victim on the Twitterverse he used the words, I'm having to deal with the trauma of my parents not allowing me to sleep with whoever I wanted to sleep with until I was 18. Mm-hmm. Well, people blew him up. I would, yeah. You're, it's not traumatic. We need to redefine some terms in our culture. It is not traumatic. If you can't get your way. Correct. And now that is what people are calling fairness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's a whole move in our culture uh, in, in terms of that direction of, of really just being confused on the idea of language. Uh, the third one I thought of that we could provoke our children to wrath is discouragement. Mm-hmm. So if you criticize a child more than you compliment the child, if a child grows up knowing all the things he does wrong versus some of the things he does right, he's going to build resentment, wrath, anger. Pastor Chad, I got to be honest with you. I'm a basketball guy. Right. I'm a sports guy. I'm My son's 13 right now. It's really challenging and special, let's say, in the last 60 days of me when I approach him, if he's done the same mistake over and over, and I've been catching myself in that moment just saying, Lord, help me, because my son will say, well, you told me that that my my play was pitiful last week. So is my play more pitiful last week than this week? And it's just catching me off guard to say, okay, 
For every harsh criticism I'm going to give, I'm going to have to come back behind it with five positive affirmations. Yeah, it's, yeah they say research-wise more than that for every negative, sort of like in, in marriage, but it it is difficult. Um, yeah, and, and, and Proverbs 15, you're a Proverbs guy. <coughs> harsh words stir up anger. Yeah. So when a child feels like they can't do anything right, they're going to get angry. You're provoking them to wrath. Fourth one I thought, this is a big one, favoritism. Yeah. So if a parent plays favorites with one of the kids, that was right easy in a lot of people's case. I have one son, but when you have many children, right? Or people here, maybe the fourth born in their family, or the third born, you got three older brothers. You remember what that's like. You being compared to your siblings, remembering that growing up, and there's a sense that I can be provoked to wrath because of favoritism. And if right? you got that one sibling that's the personality that hates conflict. Yeah. Meaning, so they're always seeking to please and do what the parents want, right? And yeah. then you got a challenger in the house. Yeah. Boy, that, yeah, yeah there's you bring some up dynamics good, there. Correct. Can you think of a couple of scriptural examples of a father who mother who played favorites and what was the result? Oh, yeah. So my mind goes to Isaac, Rebecca. Yeah. Remember that married couple, Genesis 25? Jacob, Esau. Isaac's favorite son was his firstborn. Esau, whereas Rebecca's favorite son was Jacob. That was a recipe for family feud, right? Another one's Joseph. And that was a long conflict. Yeah. Which, Half the book of Genesis. Which which goes back to the quote earlier of rebuilding. Yeah. Right, adults. Yep. Because that dynamic early on, the pattern we're talking about here, got established. And their adults got, you know, wife at this time, kids, yep. whole entourage, and there's still conflict between the two households. You're right. You're right. Um so favoritism, fifth one, I'll, I'll end here. Fifth way we provoke to wrath is being overcommitted. Overcommitted. So kids study us. Mm-hmm. Man, they know us as parents. And if they see us being overcommitted so that our job, our occupation, our activities, our hobbies take precedent over them, mm-hmm. if they feel like they're an intrusion into our life, right, whenever they get our attention, then what ultimately happens is is we can in that moment. It doesn't always have to be the case, but we can provoke them to wrath, right? Because they feel unwanted. Kids will understand if you're busy, but they won't understand if they're neglected. Yeah, and and then you have many kids that are not as intentional to ask questions. Yeah. Right. Maybe it's harder. Maybe yeah. maybe they've already tried to ask a question and you know, it was more domineering response. So yeah. now they're scared to. Yeah. So a point is this, is a lot of times kids will internally try to answer these questions they're having. Without asking. Right. But here's the thing. We live in a spiritual world and there's a real devil yeah. and there's real demons. And then they get involved in the internal world of the kid to answer those questions. And the an- imagination. And right? the answers are always cruel yeah. and wrong. And right. it leads to so much harassment and oppression from the enemy upon kids. You're right. You're yeah. right. I'll use this example, Pastor Chad. Charles Francis Adams probably doesn't ring a bell, that name, but he was a politician in our country in the 1800s. Uh, you probably know his grandfather. Several Adams in politics. Yeah, huh? President John Adams was his grandfather. You know his father, John Quincy Adams. So when Grandpa and Dad are presidents of the United States, that's a hard act to follow, right? <laughs> yeah. He's the third generation. Yeah. He was a diplomat, a statesman, involved in all kinds of campaigns, very, very overcommitted. So much so, right, that on one particular day when he went fishing with his son Henry, both of them kept diaries. In little Henry's diary, this is what the entry said, went fishing with my father today, 
the most wonderful day of my life. But in the father's diary, it read, went fishing with my boy today. A day was wasted. Right? You got to know that Henry grew up feeling that overcommitment from his dad to politics and business, that provoked him to wrath. Right? He felt like he's he's essentially an intrusion to his dad's life. Mm. So sixth one, final one is domineering. So domineering parents. Yeah. Helicopter parents, we call them maybe in our day. Smothering the kids, overprotecting the kids. When a child just feels like, man, like they're you won't let them out and make their own choices. You don't trust them. You don't trust them to make their own choices or feel their own consequences. Sometimes they can grow up to be angry, right? Provoked to wrath. Um, another one I thought of, Pastor Chad, is not to parent. I didn't really put that one in my notes, but you could provoke kids to wrath not to like minimizing what your kids feel or say mm-hmm. or what opinion they have. If they share something, they share an idea or an opinion on something, and you just marginalize it or minimize it, or it can build up resentment in them, right? Yep. Build up resentment. So um, if we turn a corner here, Pastor Chad, and, and move to the second phrase of verse 4, which is now the positive. Okay. He says, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Like, what does that mean? And, and, and talking to us maybe, you know, the Shema, so to speak, or the Deuteronomy 6 passage that tells us, uh, the function of moms and dads in the homes. Like, what does it mean to do the positive parenting, building them in the tra- training and admonition of the Lord? Yeah, well, God created us to learn, yeah. right? So we know, um, you know, biologically and physiologically of the development of the brain. Yeah. And there's that ongoing development. So the fact that he created us to learn mean then he gave us a desire to learn. And so... God needs to design a context that helps facilitate that learning and that desire to learn. So understanding, again, God's design going in can help prepare parents for some of the -the in-the-moment difficulties, meaning if you understand, all right, I'm taking on a context of learning, guess what that means? There's going to be a lot of questions that's going to be asked. So, you know, if you don't want to constantly be asked questions, well, you're going to have a problem in parenting. Yeah. Because parenting is a context for learning to happen, which is going to obviously demand and questions are going to be needed. So he creates his design for the home, father and mother, to help serve this desire to learn, mm. to learn about the world that I find myself in, to learn about why I exist and purpose, you know, the 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 normal phil- philosophical questions we all have why yeah. am i here where am i from you know where am i going in purpose and what's interesting is that deuteronomy speaks deuteronomy 6 to how god says what should naturally be taking place in this context he's created called the home mm-hmm. and the marriage between a, a, a one man and, and one wife one female is he says look when you're sitting at the table talk facilitate questions about life very natural right very natural meaning in the in the daily routine and natural things of life use those moments Mm -hmm. to instruct to teach and so that's why in the scripture he says bring them up in the training and the admonition of the lord the home is a training context it's a teaching context and it and, and as parents we would be wise to remember what you said earlier is and what ecclesiastes 3 says that the desire of training or the desire to be hands-on parenting is temporary 
Yeah. There's a season to it. And so when you you mentioned about how you're a sports guy and yeah. things like that, right? Well, when, when your son or, or one of your children, when it's game day, game day is not training day. Yeah. But there's got to be training. Yep. But the training has a purpose, a season for a bigger purpose and a bigger goal. And it's the same for the parents. We're training and we're engaging in admonition for the long-term purpose of God, right? To be fulfilled uh, and then also fulfilled uh, in their life. And so um, let me also say that when it comes to this, God gives a promise. He says that it will prolong life. Yeah. You say, well, I know a lot of people that, man, they always heeded what their parents done and they've grown old, but yeah, but they've not experienced the life God's designed. Yeah. When he talks about that it would go well for you, we're not talking about just living and breathing. Existing. We're talking about the quality and type of life, that it would go well with you. Now, there is the other side. There's many people that don't have this context. And so there are no guardrails. There is mm. no healthy boundaries in their heart and they don't live long yeah. because they think, you know, they don't understand cause and effect or uh, there's consequences, consequences to actions. actions right. Yeah. And, and they think, you know, I can drive any way I want and yeah. there's no consequence and there's the tragedy. Ditch. Yep. Right. Or, or I can do whatever I want with the gun. There's no tragedy. Right. Well, no. So, but what is the end go mm-hmm. is for kingdom multiplication. Yeah. That the goodness of God, the reality of a king that would come and be crucified for us would be multiplied. The nature and the the visibility qualities of God would become visible. The invisible would become visible. visible. That's the goal of kingdom multiplication. Yeah. So um, so that's what I think about when it's bringing them up, them up training, training and admonition, yep. right? And the parents' role is naturally when you lie down at night. Yeah. Answer questions. Speak the word of God to them. When you're going about culture and they see something, and they ask you a question, don't pull pull back from it. They've yeah. seen it. Yeah. And God's word has an answer to yeah. it, and engage in that. So, the, uh, so basically, the classroom of life. It's is it. constantly looking. You're expecting teaching moments to flow out of everyday living. Looking intentional. Yeah. Every day of how can I? Just how Jesus modeled leadership. So he did. He's expecting. He walked through. Hey, we're coming to Caesarea. Caesarea. Yeah. Oh, you see this large rock? Yeah. Let me talk about a rock of how I'm going to build my kingdom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so uh, you said that you read some this week that was a bit of an s- astonishing revelation to you. Yeah. So talk yeah. to us about that. Absolutely. So in verse four it says, "Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord." That yep. word "bring up" means to to nourish your children. And and I just I know it sounds so simple, but it's not hold them down. It's not push them back. It's bring them up. Yeah. It's lift them up. And what was so astonishing to me is I read Pastor Chad, and I did not know this. Uh, I just had not ever looked at this passage in this way. The word for parents in in Hebrew is the word horim, H-O-R-I-M, plural. It's related to the word in Hebrew that I already knew called mori, M-O-R-I. That word means teacher. Hmm. And I, it, it hit me like, Parents and teacher are the exact same root word in Hebrew. And there's a reason why. Because in Judaism, the the parents were the first teachers. They're the first yes. teachers. And I don't mean that figuratively. figuratively. I mean that literally. Like the first three years of a Hebrew boy or a girl's life, 
the mother's in charge of the whole educational process. Commanded by God. And then the child was weaned. At age three, the father would supervise the teaching of the law to the male child, child and give that boy a trade to follow through his life. If it was a girl, the mother would disciple that young daughter in the domestic affairs and, and activities of the home. So parents were the first, not just trainers, they're the first teachers. And, and you say, why? Because they believe, Pastor Chad, in that literal command of Deuteronomy 6. The words I command to you shall be in your heart. Teach them diligently. Meaning, when I read that Deuteronomy 6 text as a young father, I'm thinking, how can I implement that, right? Like knowing my son loves his certain things and my daughters, they love to do certain things. How in the world do I live out Deuteronomy 6 specific to each personality, right? How do I make or expect those natural teaching moments to come? So, but Paul's, again, his admonition is to bring them up. We have to move them towards maturity by first being their teacher, their trainers. And, and that is, I mean, Pastor Craig, that is part of the difficulty of parenting, right? Yeah. Is that you're dealing with a unique, right, individual made in the image of God, but they're unique. And yeah. all if, if all three of my children were exactly the same. It'd it would, get easier with each one, wouldn't well, it? Well, I could accelerate multiplication, yeah. right? But, but like you're saying, is that's not the way it is. And so... So parents have to find creative ways creative to train ways. them. Yeah, and that's yeah. what, when you think back at school, I know it was for me, the teachers whose names I still remember in a positive light were the teachers that understood. Treated each kid as an individual. They could not just make a blanket <laughs> statement to the class yeah. and ex- and think that everybody's going to get it. They are going to have to mix up Learning words. is dictated by the listener, not the teacher. Correct. Right. Correct. So how they're receiving. If you care about them to learn. And yeah. that's the difference between a teacher that's just for a paycheck and a teacher, right, that's actually wanting to ensure that the hearers get it. Yeah. So that's the first word, training. But the second word is admonition of the Lord. And what does that admonition mean? The Greek word, some some people may be listening to have a counseling background or been trained in counselors. It's this word, Pastor Chad, called theseus. If you have a counseling background, it's called nuthetic counseling. And it comes from placing something before one's mind. So I started thinking, okay, it has this idea of correcting, rebuking, warning by even contending with the person, like basically like saying this. Now, wait a minute. I want to correct your path, change your behavior, warn you to stay away from this, and instruct you in a different way. But it's this firm idea a child, remember Proverbs 29, left to himself brings shame. Correct. Admonition, again, brings up this subject of discipline. So I was just going to ask you about that. When you when you think about how we bring our kids to admonition, so if someone's listening today, they're a parent, how do they, so we've kind of hit the teaching side. How do we bring our kids to that? How do we bring our kids to that moment of admonition? Any yeah, thoughts there? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, you know, it sounds like another word, premonition yeah a lot of times with premonition you're dealing with speculation or vain imaginations a lot of times kids begin to fear or think the worst so the role of admonition is to begin to center the thought life Mm. upon god's will and god's truth and god's way for them yeah what that does is that removes the enemy from seeking to establish constant negative premonitions that I'm going to be a failure or 
I, I don't know what to do, so I'm scared. And because I don't know what to do, and I'm scared. I'm not going to try anything. Right. Or it doesn't matter if I do anything because in the end, it's not going to be done enough. The admonition is you're adding to their mental fortitude. Yep. Because the Word of God is, of course, sharper than a two-edged sword. Right. But the Word of God, God is also our stronghold. And so when you admonish your child with the truth of God, and remember, all truth, real truth, is God's truth. Yep. So we're talking about if you're teaching science and you're teaching what is actually science, right? Not theories, but and you're teaching mathematics, that's established mathematics, that's God's truth. Yep. So you're adding and forming in the mind truthfulness. You're fortifying their mind from fantasies and fears and premonitions that can be negative or or not, you know, scripture exhorts us to think soberly mm-hmm. of ourselves. So, you know, if you have a child that's, you know, I'm going to be a American Idol's next yeah. star, and literally they can't sing worth the lick. They got your singing voice, and you know you can. Well, you have to, through admonition, add, in a sense, healthy ammunition, mm. truth that directs them. We're going to speak about the Proverbs verse here shortly, right. but that helps direct them in the way that the Lord has for them. And so... um. This is for so even on a positive, uh, like a real simple way. Yeah. One of the things I've often said, I was youth pastor for a while. A good is while. We, yeah, a good while. <laughs> is we often say to you know parents, you hear parents say, you can be to their kids, you can be anything in the world you want. And one of the things I would always challenge parents is, hey, let's. I know your impetus there, right. but let's don't tell kids they can be anything in the in the world they want. Let's say you can be everything God intended That's you it. to be. That's it, right? When and we I know it sounds God, small, it, yeah, but it's not. Right, it's big, right? So there's not that's not a self-made person. It's hey, God has a, an intent that's and purpose it. for my life. There's a lot of things that sound small to us, but isn't small in the reality of how God's created the world to work, right? Yeah. And that's why Paul told Timothy to learn to rightly divide, draw clear lines. There's a clear line between what you're saying. Yeah, it's a clear line, and that line's important. That's that's the difference between pop culture psychology and Christianity. So pop culture psychology today is all about. Inspire your kids. It's tell I can, them they do, can all do all things. Yeah. But that's not what the scripture says, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's I can do all things through Christ. Meaning yeah. when it comes to life and purpose, God and Christ has to be in the equation. Yeah. It, you know, it's not you can do anything. Yeah. The truth of the matter is I, I might want to be um, a linebacker for the NFL. But you have the three horsemen it's against you. Happen. Short, white, and small. It's not going to happen. <laughs> You can try, you, and even if they gave you a shot and go out there, the <laughs> first hit, you, you're you're that cart's coming you out, that stretch you wouldn't out. be able to see straight. Son. Yeah, I watch I watch NFL Sunday, and I say, dear God, I don't want to ever sign up for it's, that. It's too. It's basically two Volkswagen cars. Yeah, I don't want no part of that. <laughs> keep me on the baseball field. <laughs> that's funny, but uh, but that's admonition. Yeah, listen. When you know the design and learn, as we talk about, to the uniqueness of how God's crafted and created your child, and, and they're like an arrow. Yeah. Well, modern day language is gun. Yeah. And ammunition. gun, ammunition. You are adding ammunition yeah. internally for them to be able to deal with the challenges of life. Yeah. And so we're, we're teaching them how can people pass tests without knowledge and preparation preparation for the test and that's what parents have we have this role of equipping and adding the healthy um teaching and truth to the children so when you hear uh 
when it, it's been said, well, let me say, you think of discipline yeah. when you hear admonition. Right? Yeah. So tackle that for a moment. We've been talking about football. Why don't you just linebacker tackle that thing? Yeah. And uh, hit both the corrective but also the, the preventive discipline, yeah. right? Because not all discipline is after the fact, yeah. right? There is a – uh, yeah, so, type so of absolutely. So when I think of, yeah, use the word formative, which you use, we use in our church a yep. lot. Admonition brings up the subject of discipline. There's two kinds of discipline, corrective discipline, right? And then preventative discipline, right? Or formative. So a few remarks I just wanted to make, Pastor Chad, because there's moms or dads that are watching today. And we, how could you do a podcast on parenting without hitting the specifics of discipline? Because it's a debated deal. On spare the rod, spoil the child. Should we not? Should we use timeout? What techniques? So at the end of the day, number one, corrective discipline means means I'm going to spank, I'm going to make circumstances dis, dis, disadvantageous for the child. It expresses love. Corrective discipline expresses, demonstrates love. Now, not everybody agrees. Some think it's the most hateful thing in the world. Um, and you know who thinks that mostly is kids, right? You don't love me. No, it's because I love you. I'm going to do it. You hate me or I hate you. No, so a parent thinks... Well, they just said they hate me. That seven-year-old must hate me. I better not do it, right? Um, what your seven-year-old thinks about you today is really unimportant. And that's, I, I mean, I honestly wanted to say that to parents. What your nine-year-old thinks about you while they're nine is very unimportant. Because what your 18-year-old would think about you after the process is over is all important. Certainly. It's loving. It's not hateful. It's loving to correct a child. It's Proverbs says if we're not prompt to do it, we actually don't love them. Correct. You know why? Because it takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? Oh, it does. Yeah, you have to stop a lot on the of moment. focus, effort. In fact, listen listen to God uh, in the book of Hebrews. Whom the, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son he receives. So corrective discipline expresses love. And that's love. child training, right, in the yes. Greek. And it's fruitful. It bears fruit. It produces this fruit. This is not heavy-handed no. in a moment of wrathfulness. So let's say it that way. When it's done rightly and righteously it produces fruit listen to proverbs 23 13 and 14 this is right of the new living translation i selected on purpose listen pastor he said don't fail to correct your children they won't die if you spank them that's against new living physical discipline may well save them from death it's fruitful when administered righteously so ever since my era of being raised there were anti-spanking experts all the way from dr spock not far from Star Trek, right? Different one all the way through modern times. There's been this whole big debate. Spanking was decried. It's corporal punishment. It's wrong. It's unproductive. But I just thought I would read this because <laughs> it's interesting. I read an article, U.S. News and World Report, and it says that such experts, based on all their findings, is what it said, on a body of research that is at best inconclusive and at worst badly flawed. The same article that dealt with these cites more recent studies indicating that spanking will make children less likely to fight with others, more likely to obey their parents. Something else about corrective discipline, it's got to be timely, right? And that's what you just mentioned a minute ago. You can't start when they're 17. <laughs> oh, gosh. You can't say, okay, they're 13, Mark Twain, find a barrel, right? It has to be timely. Proverbs nineteen eighteen, Pastor Chad, chasing your son while there's hope and don't be a willing party to his death. So you, you don't show love by overlooking, willing disobedience and neglecting discipline. Yeah, right? I'm more of the stance, and I've listened to other men of God and, and who's done, you know went before us yeah. and have 
seen godly success in it is there's more of that type of discipline the earlier and then it lessens as they get older yep right yep um and unfortunately sometimes people try to switch that but if if you've not done that type of discipline early on and now they are acting out it's going to take a different type you're not going to strong arm them now that they're older if you missed early years of that type of discipline, yeah, right, you're going to have to find what they value. Yep, and, and bring I, I read, restriction. I read um, uh, uh, the Strong-Willed Child by James Dobson, mm. and um, the word in Hebrew for the rod is this Hebrew word shabet, which means staff, branch, or offshoot. In other words, we should discipline something something different from the human body. And Dobson says, "Don't use your hand right. to discipline your child." Don't use your fist. Don't use your headbutt. Don't use your foot. I'm just trying to cover all the bases here. He says a, a parent's hand should be reserved for embracing, stroking, and affirmation. So when your kids look at your hands, they can never say, those hands hit me or those hands hurt me. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of lays this out in the book about we take a, you know, back in the day, man, my parents used rulers. Uh, they oh. Yeah. Well, I'm a little older than you, but it came up in conversation in my family. Like, yeah. I guess we were maybe in the, the van going somewhere or something. And and I said, listen, they were still spanking when I was in elementary In schools, school. yes. Yeah. I think I was in um, fifth grade or sixth grade when in where I grew up in, in Kentucky. It stopped because I think I got it in fourth grade, the paddle. Yeah. And then it might have been then the next year, because I remember always saying, oh, if I would have waited, waited one year. more year to act up, I would have never got paddled. <laughs> so I think, Pastor Chad, <laughs> if we can tie a bow on that part, yeah. corrective discipline, it's something that's going to get their attention. It's got to get their, it's got to be painful. It's got to get their attention. The other side of the coin, though, is preventative discipline. So any good doctor is going to use preventative medicine as well as corrective medicine, yeah. right? Good patient's going to do the same, or good parent, I should say, is going to do the same. Do you play with your child? That's preventative discipline, mm-hmm. right? Playing with them. Do you pray with your child? Because that's attention, right? Shows yeah. care, attention, value. Do you pray with your child? Preventative discipline. It's the hours that we sow into their life, right? Because the corrective discipline only reinforces the preventative discipline, right? If it's all corrective and not preventative, it won't work, right? Uh, Josh McDowell, I think many people probably heard of him. He was fond of saying rules without relationship will produce rebellion. So a Gallup uh, poll, Pastor Chad, of a thousand teenagers. This is this is fascinating. Okay, a thousand teenagers over a twenty-four hour period. This is what they found: forty-two percent of them received no words of praise during a twenty-four hour period tested. Mm. Okay, one half had gotten no hug or kiss. Forty-four percent of these kids never heard the words "I love you" one time. So that's Gallup poll that shows us the preventive discipline has not been a part of the family picture, right? So back to the text, when you hear that phrase, rules without relationship will produce rebellion. How do you think in your experience, Pastor Chad, how does that, how does that play out in parenting? Even either, you know, personally for your life or just thoughts that you have around it? Yeah, for me, it's, it's the gospel as I later in life came to fully understand it. It, it's the gospel that informs this and, and makes sense to me that when you look at the from the beginning in Genesis and then you look at Paul when he writes Timothy and you look, you know, through the teachings of the new covenant and versus the old covenant. When, when you know God's eternal purpose, that he created us to 
walk and live and abide in a relationship with him. Right. And then out of that relationship, we would be empowered for a specific kingdom assignment. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's the the fellowship, the relationship aspect, and then the the doing and the kingdom and the purpose aspect. When I understand that in the gospel, it helps inform me of why that makes sense, what you're saying in parenting. That if I only seek rules without relationship, well, that's not even how God created right. this to work. And so for me, you know, when you think about the old covenant and the law was based on works. It was based on a, you know, God saying, if you do X, then I will be obligated to do Y, right? It was a, a works mentality. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the law was, is you could do certain things that in that work system. Yeah. It didn't matter your heart yeah. toward God. God said, if you do this, then I will do that. Right. So relationship didn't, didn't, yeah, it matter. But then obviously the express image of God came through Jesus and you see that he moved in to earth. He lived amongst us and it's out of that relationship and out of that encountering his heart and understanding that his intent for us is good, that then directional commands or that which seems to be a little more stern, Mm -hmm. a little more challenging you know the intent of yeah. the person and the character. Yeah. So, you know, what I want my children to experience is they know that I love them, meaning I want the best for them. I want God's will for them. So anything that seems then rule-oriented or seems restrictive, yeah, they know it's that framed. the intent and the character and the motivation behind that is for that things may go well with you, mm-hmm. to protect you. It's not trying to restrict you from what is fun or what you think is best. It's actually to help create and keep you in a context for God's best right. and what is ultimately fun yeah. to happen in your life. So one of the things me, I've always said, I Pastor think Chad, that on way. that, you know, Proverbs 29, 18, where there, there is no vision, the people cast perish, off for they strength. cast off for strength. Yep. And the word vision, obviously prophetic, prophetic vision, yep. right? And so what I've always said, and this is true, I mean, I, there's a lot of mistakes I've made as a parent, but I have since day one of finding Meredith we had conceived, we'd conceived Knox. I'm not going to say I've prayed it every day. There's certainly been days I've not. But what has been the overarching theme of my prayer for all three of my kids, more than I pray God keep them from harm more than I pray God give him the right people more than I pray God keep him safe I've always prayed from the outset Lord at a young age give them a prophetic vision of your purpose in their life because again that truth is that Mm -hmm. rules without a prophetic vision causes people to cast off restraint but when I have rules with the vision it enables holiness and right living Sure. so I know you know for me I got set free at 16 years of age from all kinds of madness and I didn't go back to that stuff by God's grace and people would often ask me hey how in the world did you not go back and do what your friends were doing it's because when I would get along with the Lord in my room God would just already at a young age give me snippets and pictures in my mind's eye of me ministering to other people Mm -hmm. and that prophetic vision enabled holiness Mm -hmm. it's what empowered my my holiness in the present and And so that's a great description oftentimes we don't see it this way but it is scripturally that's a great description of biblical faith because And when it talks about biblical faith in Hebrews 11, it uses the example of Moses. Yeah. And it says he looked to the reward. Yeah. That's why he didn't look back to the riches of Egypt. 
And what you're saying is that prophetic vision helps keep you looking to the reward forward yes. and not go back. Yes. Yeah. And when you do then, once you get a prophetic vision, what happens, You'll re- your kids will reorient their life around that vision. So you won't have to pray for them to find the right friends. They'll find the right friends. You won't have to pray for them to make wise decisions. They'll right. make wise decisions. Yeah. Begin. all of that is being those, framed. Those rules or whatever are serving yes. the greater good and purpose. Yep. Yep. It's worthwhile. Very good. So we've, we've talked about parenting can be done negatively. Parenting done positively. Let's finish uh, today's episode by talking about how parenting should be done ultimately. And what I mean by that, Pastor Chad, is it doesn't just say bring them up in training and admonition, period. It says, but training and admonition of the Lord. Yeah. So our goal isn't just to positively train them. It's to do with the intention of them becoming mature spiritually. Lead your children to Christ. Teach them to love Christ. So share about that, that, that three word phrase that's so big right bring them in the training and admonition of the lord yeah well it's like the two previous episodes because it's all coming we've all been in this context ephesians, ephesians 5 yep. and then coming into ephesians 6 yep. and the husbands loving the wives the only context of understanding what that love should look like is in the lord yep. looking to christ right submission and wives submit to husbands the only way to understand it is in the lord right it, the lord and his word frames understanding these instructions. Yeah. It's the same thing here for the parents, that the admonition, the training is in the context of the Christian life, yep. like being a disciple of Jesus, yep. right? A follower of Jesus. Right. So, you know, if if my kid became, you know, the greatest trained in a sport or the greatest mind in a specific field, but is not trained and not have ammunition, to guard against culture and Satan and his schemes through the word of God, then that's maybe temporal success, but it's your ultimate failure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's it's in the Lord, which also means that my guidelines or my admonition or my training, my instruction or um, the rules of the house, all those things are framed by in the Lord, meaning I'm not asking my kids to just like we talked about before, something illegal yeah. or immoral, right? Unethical, or unethical or heretical. So the Lord establishes that relationship, and you say, "Well, why do y'all keep bringing that up?" Because you got to remember that our strength and and motivation comes from the Lord, and we're dealing with very difficult matters. Yeah, right. Parenting's difficult. Marriage is difficult. And if you remove these things as followers of Jesus from the context of in the Lord. How much more helpless or weighty yeah. or heavy does it feel? That's why, Pastor Chad, I, for me, to me, when you put all these principles together, the best definition of parenting to me is partnering with God in making disciples of your children. And I that's to it. me, that's to me the of the Lord, right? Is that I've often heard that parenting is essentially the goal of parenting is to raise independently dependent disciples of Jesus, meaning kids that are independently dependent on the Lord. They don't need you to be dependent on the Lord for them. But to me, and I get that and I love that, but but when we talk about in the Lord here, it's partnership with the Lord to make functioning, active disciples of Jesus. That's what you see in Genesis, right? God was looking for mankind to partner with him in his purpose of being fruitful and multiply out of that partnership. So You know, the authority of a father yeah. is found in the authority of God's word. Yeah. 
And this goes back again to submission. And the reason submission is not a dirty word is submission brings liberality. Yeah. It actually lifts a heavy burden off of you because when I realize that if I'll submit to God's word as the instruction and what I'm to admin, you know, admonish and teach and impart to my children, think of the weight that just took off mm-hmm. me. I don't have to come up with the curriculum. I don't have to come up with, you know, my own opinions on things. When I submit to God's truth, God's already provided mm-hmm. the necessary means to instill in my children what they're going to need to be successful in His will, yeah. according to His eyes. Yeah, His purpose. That takes a great weight off of me. Yep. So, uh, you know, I want children, my children to be founded more in God's Word than my opinion. Yeah, that's good. Than my soapbox. Right. I have my soapbox. Yeah, we you all know do that. We parents all do. too. But in the end, I want the kids to be more grounded in what God has said than what they hear me on my soapbox in the house saying, yeah. right? And so for me, when it's talking about bring them up in the training admonition of the Lord, what that means is, is God has provided his faithful word. His faithful word and will goes to all generations, yeah. including my kids. Timeless. And I don't have to create up something that's not already there. When I come under the authority and the submission of what God's already provided in his word, man, God then removes this heavy weight of, well, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I do know because God's given his word. Just be faithful to his word mm-hmm. and the word to be faithful to instill, to shape. Yeah. It's it's a living, active, shaping sword. So uh, that's what sort of my thoughts there. But yeah. uh, you have some stats, I believe, from uh, Dr. Martin. Is it Dahan? Dahan. Yeah, yeah. I was going to end what are with those? these. Yeah, I was going to end with these. He's a medical doctor. Pastor Chad, who became a pastor. Okay. Came out with these statistics. He said, after the age of 35, only one person in 50,000 will receive Jesus. Now, let's think for a moment. After the age of 35, one in 50,000. Ready? After the age of 45, one in 300,000 will receive Christ. The reason he gives this ongoing set of statistics is to show that if you begin young when kids are impressionable, these forging forces and choices for their future get shaped and they may step away for a while and they're 18, 19, 25, 30, but let them make that choice when they're young and they, in the end, they shall not depart from it. And we've heard all these stats about 80 some percent of people come to Christ before the age of 18. Well, Dahan takes that generation by generation. And when I was reading that, I was thinking, man, what responsibility parents have. Right. It, it reminds me, you know, we were just together downtown. Yep. And I, as we were walking, I saw a mural and it said uh, around the playground, it said, let the kids create the script. Mm. And instantly everything in me said, that's a full saying. Yeah. Kids don't understand how the world's supposed to work. Yeah. If you let kids create their own script, their own rules, write it, their own pen, you have the devastation we're having yeah. in our nation. Yeah, yeah. God's got a script. Correct, correct. And we we idolize youthfulness in our culture. Mm. We do everything we can to try to stay young, right? This is why we market, the average marketing billions of dollars is spent on the average age of 8 to 12. Because if we can hook them early, we got, got them as long. They got a lot of cereals, man. Yeah. They did. Yeah, so we idolize youthfulness, right? And, and I'm a youth pastor at heart. And I would always hear youth pastors, the next generation, the hope of the world. I'm like, no, Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. 
And it's not the over-idolization of young people. Yeah, there's a lot of creativity, but they need a lot of the sagacious, sage wisdom of the older generation. White-haired men and women of God. Yeah, so I want to end, Pastor Chad, perhaps with the most common verse you hear when it comes to raising kids. Proverbs 22, 6. Um, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And I think a lot of parents hear that, and they think, well, what that means is drag them to church, mm. make them sing songs, say prayers at meal before bedtime, and they might sow, sow their wild oats when they're old and gray, they'll finally come back. But I wanted to put a little different spin on it, because here's what I think it means, the role of a parent. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he should go. The word there in Hebrew, train, is a crazy word, Pastor Chad. It's mm. the word shanak, which speaks of a practice when a baby was born and the baby was given to the midwife. So the midwife would do something. She would take her index finger, deep it in, or dip it, I should say, into some kind of date mixture, like date honey, touch the gums. She would massage the gums, the soft palate, the roof of the mouth, to instantly uh, stimulate the sucking reflex to get that child ready for breastfeeding. Man, I missed out on that. I didn't get that. Yeah, so the word shanak is to stimulate the taste. Mm. So here's what I believe the verse means stimulate the taste for godliness in the life of your child. And you stimulate that taste by not only what you say, but by giving an example. Yeah, taste and see, right? Your kids can taste and see that the Lord Lord is good good. because they saw it through their parents. Man, that's powerful. Yeah. Right? Training a child is to stimulate their taste for godliness Mm -hmm. so that they still have their own volition to choose. God's not going to make them serve them. And it is the truth. I mean, the sad thing is, and, and you've lived it more than me in the, in, the, in the sense of being more, you know, in the world of of youth. Steen- teenagers, Young yeah. adults, teenagers. But you, you know so well, and we've talked about it, and you've told others, it's not that you can guarantee, but a lot of the issues that come later after those teens becomes adults it's because you know what was lacking in the home and the parents were doing yeah. versus what they were saying on Sunday in church. Yeah. And all of that was training. Yes. But in the negative sense, not making them, like you're saying, hungry with an appetite appetite for more God. Yeah. They're getting the wrong understanding. More, of they have distaste for God. Yeah. Because it's not the genuine experience of biblical Christianity, right? Yep. One of our great presidents, Pastor Chad, President Abraham Lincoln, he commented on Proverbs 22, 6, and he said, to train up a child in a way that he should go, for a man to do that, he must walk that way himself. So 100 years from now, it won't matter if you drive a cool car today or not. That's true. 100 years from now, it won't matter if you got an iPhone 11 or iPhone 14. If you're a fashionista, you look really cool in your clothing. But 100 years from now, the world might be a better place because you invest it in the life of one, two, three, quiver full of children. And that's the goal, right? That's the goal. Fathers and mothers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't do it negatively. It can be done positively. Train them, admonish them, but ultimately always with the goal in the Lord. So Mm. what are your... Pastor Chad, to kind of close us off today, some successes or mistakes as a parent in the life of your own children. Like, what can you share as final words for those that are watching? Yeah, my, my first mistake was when we had our first big snow. You know, we're in Georgia, so we don't always get one, <laughs> right, every year. But the first big snow I had with my firstborn son, took him out. I put him in a laundry basket, one of those white ones, you know? Oh, no, slippery. And, uh, yeah, I got beside him, and we had a little slope, like, beside our house. And so I pushed him in that 
Well, this is like second day, so the snow had become ice. Yeah. And that basket turned over, and he went spilling out that, and that ice hit him right in the cheek. And that, you know, those little cuts, you know, how they bleed bad oh, in dude, the head. A whole lot. So I had to grab him and take him in the house. Of course, Michelle thinks that, you know, his brain. shot him. Yeah, that his brain's falling out type thing. That cut. So that was my first big That's mistake funny. on navigating the snow here in Georgia. But now one big mistake, and this is with my oldest, you know, because he's ahead of the, the girls, but is thinking that you can fight the flesh with the flesh. Mm. And so obviously our kids have flesh just like you and I have flesh. Yeah. So if they're been in a bad week and they got an attitude, if something's going on, they're frustrated with school or the way things are going, that or if they get upset and get loud, that they think me thinking, well, I can fight that with my own flesh. And it's not. Yep. And learning to say, you know what? All right, maybe you're tired. We're gonna come back around to this. Yep. But before I come back around to understand to go pray. Yeah. And to get my heavenly father yep. and the Holy spirit involved in it. Uh, so that was a mistake of trying to think I could, you know, fight flesh with flesh. Another one is trying to, uh, out argue mm. or through the use of logic, bring a sense of reason when they're emotional. Yeah. That's a huge failure. I mean, there's times we stay up way past bedtime and, and we're trying to logically get them to understand what they're doing is wrong or that. But they're so emotional right now yeah. and tired that you can argue until you're blue in the face. And it's just like what Paul told Timothy when it comes to people who are in air theologically or have a wrong heart. He's like, listen, yeah. if they're getting into debate, you need to just walk away. Yeah. So that's a big mistake. That they need a hug and talk that. later. Yeah. Yeah. Say, listen, I understand this. is We're going to come back around to this. But right now, you need to go to bed. It's, you know, or I'm tired, uh, whatever. Um, I think one thing that I have been able to to be successful at is, uh, you know, I come from the sports world, but yeah. I, I never had a, a parents that, like, overburdened me yeah. with achievement. I had an internal drive, yeah. just uh, by the way I'm wired. But I said, you know, I'm never going to be some of those parents I did see yeah. growing up. And so... When my firstborn son was born, I didn't drive him into sports, mm-hmm. okay, which it's a good thing because that's not where he's gifted. Yeah. And so the fact that I've never put pressure on that now allows him, he doesn't engage in any sports, yeah. and there's no sense within him of guilt or shame. Yeah. Okay? No so, letdown. No letdown. Yeah. So that was one. The other is then I celebrate his gifts. Yeah. So he's different than me. He's an artist. He draws. He's a musician. He's He, he serves with our worship team here. And so what I do is I celebrate those gifts. Yeah. That that's celebrate but then also i always celebrate how can you use them for god's glory yeah for god's purpose yeah it's good uh, another one is apologizing yeah is that listen Quickly. i've failed i'm gonna make mistakes i have gotten loud when i shouldn't have gotten loud i have been short when i was tired and devoted too much time that day to work and now i'm depleted and he wants attention yeah and not been able to get of it is going back around saying look i'm sorry Yep. I'm too tired. Yeah, I can't give you what you deserve, and I'm sorry. But just apologizing for mistakes. Uh, an, another one that I think have been successful is, you know, we take people through divine design for discipleship. Mm-hmm. You know, by the hundreds is if I believe that God uses that 
to help his body and my sons confess Christ is that I take him through that at home. Yeah, that's great. So he reads that. He does the quizzes. Another one is I uh, give him Proverbs to memorize. That's great. To hide the word of God in his heart. And this is one what Building with Balance talks about the second book is that God's given different portions of his scripture for to meet different needs of our life. Yeah. So there's relevant portions based on where we're, where at. we're at. Yeah. Proverbs were given to young men. Yeah. To young children. And so getting him memorizing Proverbs uh has been a, a I think a positive for that. Room checks. Uh early on we'd I'd have him do weekly room checks. Mm. And my son, because he is artistic and and you know music musically inclined, not all of them are the most organized. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but I did that early on to teach him that there are contexts in life that for him to succeed in or to be honored by other people, they're going to want that of you, even if it's not your natural inclination. And so now I don't make him do it every week. Yeah. But if I say one week, he knows how to get his bed done, how to vacuum, how to get his room in an orderly fashion, things like that. And so not a perfect parent. No. Not a perfect human. I'm not. I've made tons of mistakes but here's one thing is in the home i'm going to model praising the lord yeah i'm going to model the pursuit of the only perfect one yeah jesus christ amen and so even in my failures he's seeing a human that's weak been affected by sin but is still pursuing the perfect human correct jesus christ so to not make our kids think that we have the strength but to Meaning we're not people they want to emulate. We want to open them up to a Savior that we're independent of. I tell him, if you see any positive qualities in me that you value, you need to understand that that's only because of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. And if you see any negative things, that's not a reflection (laughs) of the King. That's That's a reflection of me and my failures. Right. Um, well, praise God. What's some final thoughts? Yeah, well, that, I see that's where we leave it. You know, looking, we obviously looked just a single text of Scripture as our basis, but there were all kinds of Scriptures we brought in. There's so much in it. Sometimes less is more, and in this case, I think this passage even alone is comprehensive enough uh, for us to get a picture of parenting on a human level. My last thought is we can thank the Father that we have an example in Him. Yeah. Like, we even call Him Heavenly Father. Like, God has given us an example through His love and resources that He lavishes on us. And how important is that to so many that didn't grow up with a home that had a father To trust, and same for us. I mean, I did not grow up in a home in which— I knew how to train kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So it's about trust even as a father myself uh, for my own kids. So, And that's our prayer for those that are listening today. Yeah, and I think it's encouragement you need to hear is that, you know, God's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yep. And what I tell uh, often parents and, and try to remind myself is that, hey, if I move the model of biblical parenting forward further than my parents did, yep. That's moving God who thinks multi-generational. Yep. It's moving that forward. Yep. See what I'm saying? Yep. My children already have their father in the home at this age, and I didn't have that. Yep. So we're moving Correct. God's model forward. Absolutely. And each generation, if we live this out, gets stronger and stronger in the ways of the Lord. And Amen. I would just say, lastly, you say, well, what's some things to focus on? On Pastor Craig, like you, you know, quoted Proverbs 22 to us of, of raising them up right in the way of the Lord. Look at Proverbs. Proverbs talks about yep. what those ways are. Yep. A lot of people don't realize that chapter that it's quoted in deals primarily with money. Yeah, chapter Because 22. Proverbs says money affects a lot of their life. Yeah. It talks about friendships. Yeah. Money, friendship. Walking with the wise. Heart matters, right? Uh 
let them know there's seducers out there, wrong yeah. relationships sexually that would try to destroy work ethic and yeah. excellence, giftedness, and ultimately that scripture they come wise to salvation. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've known the Holy Scriptures from infancy, which are able to save your soul for salvation. So it sure put Timothy at an advantage moving forward in that's the plan right. of God, didn't it? That's right. That's right. So well, that's a wrap today, Pastor Chad. Good lead talks. Yeah. Pricks. Episode number seven. Our prayers are with you as parents, those who even desire to be parents in the and future. If you know how to pray, pray for us parents. <laughs> that's <well>. right. That's <laughs> right. So we'll be back very soon for episode eight. Yep. God bless you. Talk bless to you next you, time. Friends.